the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now, I present to you the one, the only, Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Yes. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Andrew Weiss. We have an incredible guest today, Steve Hamoon. He is a motivator. He's an inspirational guy. He's here to help you crush it at life because he's a overcome adversity himself. He wants to help you do the same. And in case you're wondering a little bit, a bit, a little bit about who the Steve Hamoon guy is, he exhibits both business and sport, a strategic focus and unwavering determination. He faces challenges with the mindset of an athlete and coach. Recognizing the meaningful advancement often entails massive sacrifices. He spanned industries from real estate to mortgages to consulting and software, and his journey underscores a steadfast training regimen and a fierce competitive spirit. He epitomizes the principles of showing up, standing firm, and relentlessly pursuing improvement. And with each challenge he encounters, his resolve strengthens and results amplify. His ultimate goal? To motivate others to face their challenges head-on and harness their innate potential to chart their own path to success. Ever welcome, Steve. Steve, tell us what is the biggest and best business deal you're most proud of? Well, it's funny, you know, when you look at biggest and best, you know, I, I look at best and best, um, <laughs> you know, because I, sometimes the biggest isn't necessarily the best. Uh, you know, I had many times when I was running a construction business and you would book these, you know, we, we built some large houses when I had a construction business. Some of them were 55,000 square feet of projects we were part of. Wow. So these houses were like the size of schools and some of them would be unbelievable people you I, I dealt with the nicest of nicest you know billionaires probably trillionaires now but you know just just unbelievable human beings and then you'd run into the opposite of that and so when you have big you know you need to be able to absorb big and so what i always found is is that i always love the idea of hitting you know a bunch of small uh, first you know first base runs uh and and winning the winning the game by that rather than big swings mm -hmm. you know the same thing happens when i teach brazilian jiu-jitsu you know, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a lot of times it's, it's not the big, uh, you know, it's not the big one move, but it's having the roadmap, you know, to be able to do 100 moves and, and then just figure out what's the best uh, one that's going to be for you going forward. Yeah, I love that. So, it, and I think people forget that, that uh, sometimes single hits consistently or makes life easier rather than trying to hit home runs and striking out all the time. Uh, what, what, what's an example of like one of those, what those, what's an example of those single hits that you keep doing to be, be consistent for your growth and, excuse me, improvement? Well, you know, in my mortgage business, for example, I mean, you know, a lot of the mortgages we do are that four to $500,000 mortgage. And, you know, you, you pop out a bunch of those. One doesn't really mean a lot of income to your business, but if you pop out a hundred, you know, that's a meaningful impact to your business. And so, you know, it's about setting up relationships with people for, you know, a long-term goal to deal with them and then deal with the network of people that they deal with. And, and, and by doing that, you create a sustainability in your business and that, that creates some predictability and some long-term growth. And it adds value because again, in a business, if you had one hit wonder and, and just release that, that's gone now. So if you're looking at trying to sell your business later on and there's no you know, predictability and sustainability in your business, that one big thing isn't going to matter. It's, it's what can we predict are going to happen in the future. And generally, those are the, the, the one base hits. No, I love that. That makes sense. And uh, 
So, so tell us a little bit more about your background. No, we were talking before this was being recorded in live. Like you're like, uh, yeah, I didn't come out of the womb knowing how to hit. Uh, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even play baseball, so. You know. <laughs> <laughs> how that works too. That's why I called it a one base hit. I think it's called a first base hit. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so tell us more. Uh, you know the, the motivation, inspiration behind this, and they overcame a lot of adversity. Um, I like t- explaining it like the superhero story. Like here you are at the top of the mountain. You're like, you figured out how to do this. You figured out how to be consistent, help people overcome adversity. But tell us a little bit more about your superhero story. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. When, um, you know, I first started in being self-employed back in um, 2005. Prior to that, I did sales and business uh, consulting and, and coaching. You know, I travel around the world uh, teaching salespeople, uh, you know, an amazing methodology of, of sales and you know we built KPIs and all this other stuff. So I really dialed into the sales back at that point. But I wanted to try to do something physical in the sense of you know producing tangible results through direct action rather than through consultancy. And I'd started a construction business, uh, specifically HVAC is what we focused on, and uh, that was in 2005. You know, blew it up. We grew it up to like you know I think it was like 20 staff at one point. It, you know, it was a good, it was a fair size in Canada. And we were doing, as I said, some of the largest houses in Canada. Went really well from 2005 to 2014. Uh, but 2014 was a tough year. You know, that was a year where, you know, we saw prices go up by, you know, two to 300% for materials. Uh, you know, there's labor issues. There was, uh, you know, people started uh, to dry up and paying their bills on time and paying them at all. You know, and, and I, I walked away in that situation in a very deep, deep financial hole. Uh, you know, just as, uh, you know, I was having my second child and my wife's on mat leave, it was difficult. So I had to figure out what can I do? And I had this amazing mentor in which she told, oh, I, I wouldn't call her a mentor at that time. I call her a landlord at that time. <laughs> you can find mentors in funny spots. I can tell you yeah. um, today, to this day, I don't know if she'd call herself a mentor, but she definitely was and still is. And, um, and so anyway, so she said, why don't you get into real estate? And I said, real estate, you know, real estate agents are slime balls. And she said, Steve, am I, a, am I a slime ball? I'm a real estate agent. I said, well, no. And she said, well, then you don't have to be one either. Mm. I said, well, that makes total sense. Okay, I'll do this for a short period of time. Well, that short period of time turned into 10 years. Uh, you know, my first year, I won Rookie of the Year for one of the franchises. Did 40, 43 transactions, I think, in that year, somewhere around there. So it was wow. quite a bit for a real estate agent and, and grew that. And then in the process of that, I realized the value of creating my mortgage brokerage. So I built up my, my, my business with a mortgage and carried on with that. And, you know, and then I, I wanted more because I really loved coaching. I was coaching real estate agents. I was coaching mortgage agents. And then I went full cycle right back to the very beginning and, and got back into the coaching. Because, you know, the thing is, is going from that deep of a hole, I was, you know, near three quarters of a million dollars in a hole Jeez. in 2014. I uh, had a massive lawsuit against me. It was just not good times. And uh, so the to come out of that, you know, with some profitable businesses, with things being, you know, dealt with and, you know, with a, with a bunch of properties under my belt, you know, some systems. So I say systems for success are so ex- extremely important that you can have a business that can run without you. Like, it's just a beautiful thing. No, I, and, and I, lo- I love so many of those things that you touched on there. Like, um, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, <laughs> I love how calmly you're able to say, yeah, I was, I was a three quarters of a million dollars in debt. It, it just like, you just like, you pass right yeah. over that. And people are like, what? I've never come across that much money in several, several people's lives. So that, that's wild how you're able to hope. But uh, they have though. That's that. the thing. Yeah. They actually have. Mm-hmm. That, that's actually a myth. And, and I'm going to challenge you on that one. Yeah, go ahead. I think most people will make a million dollars. It's just how long does it take them to do it? 
That's true. Because some people will make it at $50,000 a chunk every year. Mm -hmm. right? And some people will make it at in one month. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's all it is, is a form of to, to, to be able to retain that million dollars is to create compression to try to make it in a faster time period. No, that makes sense. And, and tell us more about uh, your mindset to go after millions of dollars. And obviously, you know, being three quarters of a million dollars in debt is a good incentive to go after a million dollars. But tell us more how you form that, that mindset. Because there's a, another coach, uh, JV Crum, who says that, uh, you know, success is 90% mindset, 10% skill. Um, so what are your thoughts on all that? You know, I totally agree with that. Because, you know, again, I started off playing rugby uh, back in high school. Uh, then did wrestling. I uh, did football. I never was the biggest. I was, you know, I went into grade nine at like 89 pounds. Oh so gosh. I was not, not a big fellow. I got in the football field. They laughed me almost off of it until they realized the grit that I showed up to every practice. You know, I would generally not miss a tackle and, uh, and I would listen and I'd be coachable. And I think the idea of allowing yourself, first of all, to be coachable and be open to the idea that you cannot win the future with today's actions if you want them to be different. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be able to have that ability to open your mindset to pivot. So that's the first thing I had to do is say, okay, well, I got to open my mindset. I thought real estate agents are scumballs just because I dealt with some bad ones in the past. And, uh, and she opened my eyes to like the amount of amazing people in that industry. I think, you know, a lot of them get a bad rap and they're just, there's some just unbelievable people as real estate agents. And so, especially given right now what's going on with this stuff with the NAR uh, class action lawsuit, that's a whole different ballgame. Um, but, you know, I think the winning the mindset is, is so critical because if you don't have that in you to be able to say when things are tough, I'm going to keep on going. When it doesn't look like there's a good answer, I'm going to keep on going. You know, I'm not seeing results. I'm going to keep on going. You know, that's what gets you to that next level of success. It's, mm. it's not the, you know, the quick win, the, the fast money, you know, because you, you don't have any repeatable skills in those situations. You just have dumb luck. I mean, I give a lot of people a lot of credit. I mean, there's people who made millions on, you know, crypto or whatever they did and, and it wasn't because they had skill in it. It's just the right place, right time. I give them all the credit in the world for that. That's fantastic. But you can't build a sustainable business on that. Mm. So it so sounds like you, you've had this, this grit and this determination at such a young age from the very beginning. Um, how do you help maintain that? Or do you think it's, it's genetic? Like, uh, how do you uh, help make sure that you're staying top of mind every day and you're not, not giving up, essentially? You know, it's so funny because I came from a very, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur, but he had always run into struggles and walls and that sort of thing. And, um, and I always thought, well, it's because I came from poverty that, you know, I had this guiding light that I needed, that that's the reason why I kept on pushing it because I did never wanted to go back to that. But I, in, you know, in building some of these big houses, I met this, this, this one family and the son was, uh, you know, he played tennis. He was a like, world-class tennis player, started a business, built a huge business, just the most gracious, polite individual uh, you could ever meet. But he came from massive wealth. Mm. And he had grit, he had determination, he had a no-quit attitude. Like, that guy would roll with everything. So it, it, I don't think it had to do with that. I, you know, I'm, I'm, you probably stumped me on that one <laughs> because I still, I, I'm still trying to figure that out as to, if, is it something that it's innate? Or is it something that can be coached? Because mm. after coaching thousands and thousands of people, you know, some people will bite. And, and if you can find the thing that's most important, that's going to drive them. A lot of people talk about, like Simon Sinek talks about finding somebody's big why. Yeah. Right. And if you can speak to the why, you can get the movement. But I think you can get people who speak to their why, but still won't do the movement. There's something, there's a barrier there. 
And, and so sometimes that barrier can be broken, but you know, the only person who can break it is themselves. Oh, I, lo- I love that. And, uh, and I love you talk about too, the importance of motivation. Uh, I read a story and I know while, while recording this, uh, one of the, uh, I don't know if you're a basketball fan, but one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time, Phil Knight recently passed away. And I mm-hmm. uh, read this story on Twitter, how apparently Bill, uh, Phil Knight was leading, not Phil Knight, um, Bobby, Bobby Knight. Um, Phil Knight is a different guy, but anyway, so Bobby <laughs> Knight, he came into leadership class and uh, he like picked what he thought was like the weakest guy in the room. He's like, all right, come here and jump as high as you can. And he touched the wall and then he put a $20 bill um, above that spot where he jumped. He's like, okay, now grab this $20 bill. And the guy grabbed it, no problem. <laughs> and he's well, like, it's amazing. There's yeah. a study that we've done on rats that I heard about. I don't know if you heard this study mm-hmm. where they put these rats in water and they wanted to see how long they could swim. And I guess the rat could swim for maybe an hour or two hours, whatever the study said, right? Mm-hmm. And then what they did is they put another bunch of rats in and then they pick, as soon as the rat would start to struggle, they would pick the rat up, rat up hold it for like a minute or two and then put it back in a second time. Well, the second time that they put the rat back in, the rat was able to swim. I think it was like a day, like it was some ridiculous amount. Wow. And, and the belief was, is that the raft, because it, it had the belief that some hand is going to come in at some point to, to give it reprieve that it was just going to hold, hold on because it knew that it could get there eventually. So I think the people who win are the people who, you know, and, and, and when is a, is, a, is a mental construct? I mean, whatever it is, right? And, and, but the people who go for that win is because they do have the belief that it's possible. Yeah. And I think that's probably the one thing, like to me, because I had such exposure to so many successful people and I knew that, you know, they're just human. You know, it's not like they're superhuman. I mean, there's people like Mike Tyson that are just built differently. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what? When you go down and you look at his training with Customato and everything that he did and how, uh, how dedicated he was to his craft, I mean, was he superhuman or was he just super dedicated? Mm-hmm. You know, I love his saying when he says, what is it? Do the things that you hate, like the things that you love, like mm-hmm. as if you're doing it like you love. And I mean, that's just a beautiful way because that's going to get you through it. No, I love that. And uh, I love, love this conversation because it's just like makes you want to run through a wall like nothing's going to stop you at, <laughs> at this point. Uh, I'd love to shift a little bit more into uh, sales and talking about sales here. Um, tell us, what do people get wrong when it comes to sales? Like, How are you able to be rookie of the year? How are you able to do so much better than all the other people? What are people missing out on? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's a great question because I, I run into a lot of people, especially I own a mortgage brokerage as well. And in my mortgage brokerage, you'll have a lot of people get in the industry and, and they don't realize that it's not about doing the mortgage and taking the payroll and, you know, looking at the, the pay stubs or whatever, but it's about finding the clients. And, and that's a, that's a, you know, big eye opener for them. And they're like, Oh, I can't do sales. I'm like, well, you just sold me. I'm like, what do you mean? So, well, you just sold me on the fact that you can't sell. <laughs> right so so you can yeah. sell something when you're committed to it mm-hmm. and you're just committed to the fact that you can't sell mm-hmm. so what you need to do is you need to be committed to the fact that you can sell which that's straight out of grant cardone's sell or be sold mm-hmm. and because every day you're either selling something or you're being sold on something mm-hmm. you know when 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 i go into the the store and they're like do you want the you know the brown rice or the or the you know the french fries I'm being sold. Those are the only two options, mm-hmm. right? When I could just say, "Hey guys, you know, can you just give me the soup uh, that's <laughs> not on the menu? Why don't you just give it to me, anyways?" Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I just sold them on it. 
I love that. And I, I think this is such a good point too, that, uh, you know, it, it's unfortunate that when people hear the word sales, they go, oh, sleazy car salesmen, sleazy real estate agents, blah, blah, blah. But like learning sales is one of the top skills any humans can learn ever because it can get that girl to go on a date with you. It can get you to pick the favorite place you want to go to with your friends. It can uh, help make sure you get paid more money when more money <laughs> you could do more. Well, the, the, the most committed salespeople are like two or three year old children. <laughs> because they, they don't quit, right? Like yeah. when, it, when it comes to like the objections they get, no, it's time to go to bed. You know, no, you know, you can't play with that toy. No, you can't do this. They're committed, right? They're going to keep on going and they're going to keep on going at you and, and they're not going to give up. Yeah. And, uh, and so they really are, like most people are natural salespeople at birth. Mm. And then through the way the world speaks to them, they start absorbing the negativity of the world. Like don't get it, you know, don't get too much attention or money can't buy you happiness or be happy with what you have or don't be too pushy. You know, all of these things that, you know, people talk about and they teach their kids is actually sort of creating a gap between their, what they, where they were as amazing three-year-old salespeople to later on in life where they're, you know, a little bit uh, aloof in the way that they approach people. They don't go after their goals. They start being, you know, uh, backpedaling when they need to be going forward. Well, and that reminds me too, I think I, I saw a study that like, um, by the time a kid turns five years old, he'll have heard no like 10,000 times or something like that. Uh, <laughs> and so of course it just gets grilled into our brains that we're just used to know all the time. Like, what's the point, you know, like the rat example, like I guess the hand's not gonna pick us up kind of thing. Uh, but like what you said too, like the people who win though, if you really want to stand out, you'll be persistent, you'll keep going, you'll hopefully bring out that two-year-old, three-year-old self that's like, no, I want to get what I want at all costs kind of thing. Um, yeah. And so I, I love the way you're you're talking about this. Um, but I also love it, like when I look at it from the perspective of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is that, you know, when you're in combat, um, in a competitive situation, whether it's an altercation in the street, which I hope nobody gets into, um, or it's, you know, I love tournament jujitsu because, you know, they're just really good, hard competition. And, and when you're in that situation, uh, you know, people, they, they, especially white belts, they'll go in and they're going to go to a tournament and they've got a plan. And then as soon as they get on the mat, they do exactly the opposite of what they said they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And, and they come out and, and they lose and they're a little bit frustrated and said, okay, well, what was the plan when we went in? Well, first of all, if they didn't have a plan, there's your first problem. Yeah. But the second thing is if they come out and they, well, we didn't follow the plan. Well, that's the issue, right? So I think when it comes to sales too, I think one of the things that you really need to do is number one, focus on having a plan mm -hmm. and then get that plan battle ready mm -hmm. in the sense that if you don't practice it, people under in, in, in situation of duress move to their lowest form of training. And, and reading a book once is not training. Yeah. You know, when we're training, you know, when I'm a basketball player using the basketball analogy, if I shot one three pointer, I said, I'm good. You know, I don't need to practice that one again. I did it once. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that's going to work well with any coach or in any environment because your skill is not going to be where it needs to be. Because yeah. that's the one hit wonder. You know, but the fact that you can now hit it religiously a thousand out of a thousand times, you can hit maybe, I don't know what the, the, the averages are, but three, you know, 300 out of a thousand. I don't know if that's supposed to be a good number for basketball because I'm, I'm really sure. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's going to be a certain percentage that's going to be considered as a good, good percentage. Yeah. So it's the volume in which you practice it. And most people, when they're practicing, they think scale, sales is this innate skill, which it's not. It's something that is completely and utterly a learned practice. 
Mm, I, I love that. I think people f- forget about that too. It's just that, yeah, sales is a skill, just like public speaking, just like uh, learning how to talk to people properly in general, just like learning how to stay in shape. Like, like uh, um, I think, uh, yeah, so it's a good reminder of that too, that sales is a skill. And, and, uh, and tell us, uh, for, for the clients you help with sales, uh, t- tell us like one of your favorite uh, client stories of like how you've helped them, what you helped them achieve, how you went about it. Love to hear about that. You know, there was one that I just did recently, and um, it was it was pretty amazing because, you know, she had a specific mindset around what she needed help with, which was, you know, either closing or like scripting or or all of these issues. And, and what it turned out was it was just mindset. You know, and, and when I say just, I probably shouldn't say just. It was mindset. <laughs> yeah. Because that, I think that right there is one of the most important things. And what it was is that she's fairly young. And, um, and her challenge was, you know, she wasn't getting people to bite. And, and I said, well, who are you focusing on? And, she, you know, she said, well, I was focused on this specific segment of, you know, newer people in the market and newer families. And I said, why don't you go after the, you know, the people who maybe more tenure and, and have more, more disposable income? She said, well, I can't because, I, you know, they generally will shut me down because I'm new. And I said, okay, well, we're going to fix that because they're not shutting you down. You are. Mm-hmm. Right. And because your limiting belief is what's stopping them from working with you. So we have to overcome that first. So we can, if we can beat that right there, everything else is going to happen, you know, in, in its due course, but we got, we got to hit that first because people, people will buy from you in the way that you buy from other people. Hmm. If you say no, if you say no, I don't like to work with young people. They just don't know much. Well, guess what? If you're young, there's your limiting belief. Yeah. You say, what's you know? If you start haggling on the price, well, guess what? You're going to expect that people are going to do, and you're going to accept it as tolerant for people to haggle on your price. Mm, interesting. So the way that you buy is the way that people are going to buy from you. The way you buy is the way people buy from you. Yes, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, so if we just start uh, investing thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand dollars into things, then people will start investing that much into us. Is that, is that, that it, easy? Yeah, well, it means that you're going to attract people that you're you're going to you're going to put out into the world, and you're going to attract that what you're putting out, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going out there and you're thinking with a scarcity mindset that I've got to you know cover every dollar and I've got to be you know in the mindset of, of shrinkage and, and protection, then when you talk to people, you're going to accept that from them. Yeah. Right. And, but if you speak with abundance that, look, I'm looking in growth and I'm looking in, in opportunity, then as people talk to you, you're, you're not going to accept scarcity because it doesn't make sense to you. Yeah. And you know that they shouldn't be thinking that way and you will not accept it. Mm, I love that. Not, not accepting scarcity. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and speaking of that too, I'm excited to ask this next question as well. I know you talked about how you love, how you've obviously figured out how to get into the seven figure mark. Obviously you love mm-hmm. help people get in seven figure mark. Um, if, if someone was starting from scratch, how would you help them get to the seven figure mark? And how, how much time do you think you'd need if they listened to everything you said, followed all your advice, had the right mindset t- tell us about that journey. You'd help them. Well, with. I mean, the easiest way to do it is, is math, right? Mm-hmm. So start with math. So you can make a million dollars. If you sold a million dollar thing once it cost a million bucks and you sold it, there's your million dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. And if that's your business, yeah, you could do that in one transaction. If you're lucky, that could be in the first day. I mean, heck, that'd be awesome. 
right? Yeah. But you know that hope is not a strategy. That was a book written as a sales book written a while ago. It was a good one. <laughs> and um, and so you're not going to go on that. And 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 maybe you're not selling a million dollar thing. So then you got to say, okay, well, what is the the value of what I'm selling? So if it's a hundred thousand dollar thing, well, you got to sell ten things. Mm-hmm. Well, how much energy is required to sell one of those ten things? Yeah. So how many people do you need to get interested? You need to know your math. And once you figure out the math, that makes it is so predictable to get what you what you need to know what you need to do to get to the goal line. Yeah. Right. And and are you prepared to do that? So the thing is, you could make a million bucks in a year, no problem. Right. But you got to be committed. Mm. See, the thing is, is a lot of people will set these goals, and 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 most people say a million bucks is a lofty goal. I think that very soon that's going to be considered just the you know, the old hundred thousand dollar job is a million bucks. Yeah. Right. We're going to see that transition happen in our lifetime. And, and so, but the thing is, is you could set that goal, which could be considered as unreasonable, but are you going to be obsessed enough in your business? Are you going to make the sacrifices required? And are you going to do the work? Are you going to be unreasonable in the actions that you're going to take to hit that goal? And that's where most people fail is that they're not willing to be unreasonable. They're, they're going to look and say, well, you know, it's five o'clock. I got to go watch the Simpsons or something like whatever they, they like to do. And, and, and so therefore they're going to be reasonable with their time and they're going to listen to all those people out there telling them, you know, you work too much, you know, you're, you know, you're too obsessed. And well, do you think, you know, like we talk about any of those basketball players like Kobe, did he get to where he is by, you know, not being obsessed. No, he was hyper-focused and hyper-obsessed on everything that he does. I mean, I saw him answer a question of, you know, uh, do you do you play to win or do you play to not lose? And he's like, I play to learn. Like, I, you know, I don't play for either of those. Both of those have pitfalls. Mm. And the fact that he's thinking about that shows you that he's coaching his mindset to win. And, and so he's working on his shot. He's working on his mindset. He's working on everything. I love that. I love how it uh, th- that applies to all of life too. Like you, you can't play to win or lose. You just got to keep playing to win, essentially. Because yeah. um, I know uh, I forget which books I read, but like there's a thing that like when we start getting wins, we think we're invincible, and then that's when <laughs> uh, I think it was in the book uh, *Sapiens* or something, or or, or no, it was uh, it was called the the third door. Um, basically, talking about how like. Um, a, a, a prey like after or once they survive like a big battle they'll go out into the open and uh think they're okay and then they'll get eaten by a lion <laughs> like super fast uh just like how often do we do that like we think just because we got like a win per se we can like anything goes now then of course you're more susceptible to well and, and that's interesting because one of my one of my favorite sports is um mma and i mean boxing will follow the same thing as well but any any of those prize fight environments because they'll win one fight and or they win you know the win 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 they get up they win the title and then they lose it the next thing yeah mm-hmm. you know or they keep it for two fights and then it's gone yeah you know and it might be just because it's a hyper competitive division i mean that's certainly the case in a lot of the divisions but sometimes it's because their mindset shifts like who they were before they got the title is very different than who they were after and, and i was very fortunate in life when we were building those, you know, being part of those builds for, you know, those massive houses, you'd be dealing with billionaires at the Mm -hmm. time. And this was like 2005, 2007, you know, that you're talking to billionaires. Like that's a, that's an impressive number back then. Still is today. But the thing is, is their mindset was of grit and drive and determination. 
Yeah. And, so, and sometimes incredible humility. You know, I was, I was with one of these large, you know, land-owning families. And, you know, they, they own like part of Canary Wharf, lots of Toronto, lots of New York City. And, um, you know, the, one of them sat me, I was down cutting concrete in their basement at the time, brought me up and she said, why don't you just come and have tea? And she brought me up into her living room. I sat down, I tried to dust myself off as best as possible mm-hmm. and sat and talked with her for 45 minutes, wow. you know, and, and she just, she was more inquisitive about me just having a conversation. And I look at that and I'm like, so you can be a genuine person as a billionaire. You can uh, still have grit and determination as a billionaire. But what you also have is a lot of opportunity. So then the question is, why don't you want to get there? You know, yeah. the, the big question I have, I mean, with a lot of people who get, you know, stuck and because they're not even willing to try. And I think that's the thing that when I see people like that, they give me so much inspiration. So when you ask, like, what pushed me through, it's people like that. Mm. Well, and I love this example, too, because, it, you know, what I've learned is unfortunate, like, at least it feels like in America, for the most part, like, there's a lot of um, guilt and a lot of repression when it comes to making lots of money and being rich, like, oh, rich people, they got there by uh, stepping on others, or once you're rich, it's going to turn you into a terrible person, or if you're rich, that means you're privileged, while other people are suffering kind of thing. Um, so, so how do you help people be okay with, with uh, making lots of money and, and being rich? Yeah, and that's a great question because I think, again, it goes back to money. They have to understand, they have to change their mindset of what money is, mm-hmm. right? And to me, money is a tool, you know, just like a gun is a tool. Yeah. Right? You can use a gun to shoot a deer to have some really good venison at night if you're a meat eater, and I certainly <laughs> am. And, um, you know, or you could use it in the Civil War, uh, you know, if you have, you want to, you know, uprise over a, a, you know, a dictator or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of different things that you can use it for, or you, or you can use it for really bad things. Mm-hmm. So the tool itself, the gun is not the problem. It's what you use it for. Yeah. So it's, if you look at it and you say money is a tool and, and that tool is, it's really an amplification of who you are. So if you're a bad person and you get lots of money, you're just going to be potentially a worse person. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you are an amazing person, that money as long as you don't change your mindset, and I'll talk about that in a second, but that will be an amplifier of ama- being an amazing person. So you could go out and, and you know, build a, a school where, where a school needs to build. You can volunteer your time a lot more you know, and give back with your time because your money's doing all the work. You, know, you, can, you can invest into charities. You can invest into anything that you can. But if you get to that level of wealth, and then you change the mindset that you had to get there, which was abundance, and then you pivot to scarcity, then you're now at wealth with scarcity mindset, and that's a very dangerous spot to be too. Mm. No, I, I love that. Um, and, and so I know we're talking a lot about yeah, abundance and just like overcoming scarcity and stuff like that. Um, what about imposter syndrome? You know, how do you help battle imposter syndrome that once you come across the success and wealth and uh, be able to do that. How do you um, battle that? Well, I think imposter syndrome is if you're doing something that you don't believe you should be doing, you probably are an imposter. Oh. Um, you know, I think there's there's certain things that you know. I have people who come into the gym all the time, and you know, they'll be young and strapping young lads, and and they just want to show you who's boss, and they don't realize they're an imposter when they come in, and then you can you know 
make them into this malleable piece of dough. <laughs> and, 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 and it's, it's doing MMA and all that. And yeah. just MMA, whichever, right? Yeah. And, and then they realize they need to learn, right? Mm-hmm. So imposter syndrome, again, when it's used in a way of bravado where you're not backing it up with something, that's one thing. The imposter syndrome of the other, which is you actually have the skills, you actually have the ability, you just have, it hasn't been recognized within you. You know, the fact that everybody's not, not a millionaire right now, they're imposters, mm. right? Not in the negative way, but in, in the way of they just haven't realized it yet, mm. right? So they're just, they're the imposter of the not there yet. Mm. They're not the imposter of the, no, I'm actually, you know, because those ones who come in, some people come into the gym. They'll, they'll come in, they think they're a beast, they realize they're not a beast, and they leave. Yeah. But some of them come in the gym, and they think they're a beast, they get humbled, and now they want to learn more. Those are the best ones, right? And, and then I'll give one other category with an asterisk. The ones who come in and they're nervous, they don't think they should be there. You know, we had this one guy who came in, and he was, I, I, you know, it's like they're like little doughboys, you know? It's just they're very passive, they're very, you know, but they have this reason they're there and you don't know why they're there. Like, why are you even here? Yeah. Um, and then build up to be these amazing people and they build up to be these amazing skills. But at the beginning, they're like, I don't think I should be here. No, you definitely should be here. No, right? it makes, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so if you th- everyone who's not a millionaire, they're an imposter because everyone deserves to be millionaires. Is, is that, is that your uh, statement? I think everybody, every, every person out there, in my opinion, has the ability to get there. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. North, in North America, yeah. you know, if you're in one of those mines that I saw in, you know, South America or sorry, in Africa where, you know, you're digging for cobalt or whatever it is, you know, like they might have a, a heavier uh, uphill decline. Like mm-hmm. Francis Nagano, for example, yeah. I mean, his journey, if you follow oh his gosh. track, man, like if, if that guy can get to the highest level of boxing mm-hmm. and in my opinion, win. Uh, against the best, you know, best out there, who I love, by the way, Tyson Fury, he's you know, just yeah. an amazing individual. Yeah. But for Francis Nagano to get to that level from where he started, tell me your journey's harder than that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, there's, uh, there's another good good book called uh, Grit, and obviously that's one of my favorite ones by um, Angela Duckworth. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there's another book that's not about by Angela Duckworth, but it's talking about this guy who literally had to fight every day just for a loaf of bread to bring back to his family. And then he got super lucky that he's working on a construction site. And then the American like owned the construction site, flew him to Iran, literally arrived in the U S with like zero dollars, not knowing how to speak English and had to wrestle this random dude to get a scholarship to UCLA. And then <laughs> from there, like became a empire builder. That's amazing. Um, amazing. And so that's what I've learned too. That kind of helps with mindset as well as just like, you know, no matter where you are, there's a good chance people have come from harder situations and, and uh, overcome more, essentially. Um, yeah. But also, yeah, being Will careful. Smith is like, you will never outwork me. Yeah, I love that. You will never outwork me. And, and I feel the same way. I mean, I'm 48 years old mm-hmm. and I will train 20 hours a week of jujitsu. Wow. And, and I have no problem with that. You will never outwork me. You yeah. know, that's my belief. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a uh, like uh, the analogy that Will Smith uses that we're all running on the red on the treadmill. He's like, "You're not beating me. I'm not getting off this treadmill. Like, I'd rather die than get off this treadmill." And so, absolutely. Uh, granted, the quote was before all the Jada drama, but <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, you can't uh, beat me but a slap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Will get me. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's talk more about uh, 
mentors and uh, who you surround yourself with? Because I definitely believe in uh, Jim Rome when he says you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Like you said, too, your, your mentor encouraged you to get into real estate. Obviously, you have heard a thing for all that. How can people be more mindful about um, creating great mentors in their life and training themselves with uh, other awesome people? Yeah, and I think you have to be intentional about the people you surround yourself with. I think a lot of people, I know when we were kids, you know, you're just acclimatized to the fact that who's the kids on the block? Mm-hmm. Okay, those are my friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so proximity, you know, bred, bred friendship. And I think, you know, with the world being so easy to access, you know, the ability for you and I, who've never met in person, to be able to, you know, sit and have this discussion means that the ability to be able to amplify the people you're dealing with is 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 so easy to do in today's space, but you just have to be intentional about it. Yeah. There was a guy, uh, I think it was, I forget his first name, but there's something called the Dunbar 150, mm-hmm. which is a, a concept of, you know, it's a way to set boundaries of who's your core five and who's the people around that. And that's set, almost like a service level agreement for each of those levels of friendships, both what you are going to provide and then what they're going to provide in return. It's a bilateral uh, friendship. I think the only time in which you have that, that um, sort of uh, unconditional love or unconditional friendship happens sometimes with family. And I think sometimes I can speak to experience. There's even conditions in those space. Mm. No, I, I love that. Just like recognizing you don't have to pick friendships by proximity anymore. <laughs> and then yeah. just like uh, with Dunbar's role, like your, your top 150 people in your circle, like are so, so crucial for sure. Yep. Um, Let's talk about now the automations you like to use for uh, your business, how you help people. Tell us a little bit more about that. So I've always been a technology nut. Even when I first started uh, back in uh, my construction business, I tried to find automations that would make things better, whether it be from a CRM space or from, I think I bought the first digital um, uh, uh, air conditioner tester kit. I, I can't even remember so long ago. It was uh, it was pretty cool. I could calculate, uh, you know, superheat and subcooling just electronically rather than look at charts. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, you know, I've always been, you know, if you could make something more effective uh, and more efficient, you get the double double whammy of success on that one. Um, but I do put that with a caveat. And the caveat is, and it's an old, I think it's a Bostonian phase, which is don't pave a cow path, mm. which means that you have to recognize is what you're automating and the way that you're automating gaining you levels of, of efficiency and effectiveness, or is it just allowing you to move faster in a very inefficient way? Mm. And so that's one of the things whenever you're evaluating a system, is it going to do that? And there's always time for that. You know, when we look at, uh, say you're growing a business from zero to a hundred thousand dollars, a lot of people would go, you know, what CRM systems do I need? What this mm-hmm. do I need? No, you don't need any of that. You just need clients. Yeah. Right. So just get clients first and your yeah. first hundred K in your business you know, it's going to be grit, it's going to be bootstrapping, it's going to be a lot of things to get you there uh, to that level of success. Yeah. Um, because as soon as you start spending on some of those systems, because if it's free, uh, you know, there's always a price to free. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you start spending money, that's that, that can be very difficult at that time frame. Unless you're well-funded, that's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at automation, automation now, I mean, we look at AI, AI is just so taking over in everything. I mean, I think it's almost, I think we're like nearing the anniversary of ChatGPT. It's somewhere around this time frame, I think is what it was. Oh, really? Just like the one year or two year it anniversary? It feels like 10. I know, seriously. And yeah, 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 it feels like 10 years ago that ChatGPT and, and this whole automation push happened. But I look at my year from back then to what I do now, 
whether it's in creating content, whether it's in, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how can I be more efficient in, in integration of communication channels? AI is just becoming dominant. I mean, right in this interview right now, I'm using AI. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a lot of people watching would say, well, how are you reading off of a script? And it's like, well, I could be reading off the script, <laughs> but you wouldn't know that because my eyes are actually AI eyes mm -hmm. in this presentation. So I could take my finger and I can, peel my eyes off, um, you know, in this thing. But what it does, it allows me to have intentional connection as well as, you know, being able to, to look at you, Andrew, on the screen and, you know, and, and really connect, uh, you know, in our conversation. Well, I, I love that. So, um, so tell us outside of uh, your eyes, what, what are some of your other um, favorite automations and AI tools like to use for your own business or when you, help, you help clients with essentially? Yeah. So a big one that I, I love is CRM. Like CRM, I think is, you know, in, in CRM, it, you know, the integration of AI and CRM is so prolific. I mean, my brother's building a thing for HubSpot. It's called Data Parrot. And it just, it'll go into all of your, your systems and pull out uh, your fork. I will lie to you. That concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.